Sounds of History, the podcast of GenèveMonde.ch. Genève Monde, at the crossroads of history. Clearly, Mr. President, we must also begin to look to the future. South Africa will be free. Peace will reign supreme in our region. Despite the stubborn resistance of some elements to the peace initiatives of the governments of Angola and Mozambique. Welcome to Sounds of History. You are listening to a new episode of our podcast. It's a Genève Monde production. My name is David Glazer. I'm a reporter for Genève Monde and I'm here with Véronique Stenger, our historian specialized in the history of international organizations. Hello, Véronique. Hello, David. Speeches on peace. That's the theme of today's podcast. For most of us, Geneva is the city that symbolizes peace, the founding of the ICRC and the Geneva Conventions, the founding of the League of Nations in 1920, the disarmament conferences. Geneva has been and still is today a major venue for peace talks and peace negotiations, isn't it, Veronique? Yes, absolutely, David. Peace talks are one of the major themes of international Geneva. And at the same time, their recordings are not very accessible and are often unknown to the public. Making some of these archives visible is the reason we choose this theme. And the sound, you know, David, adds a more emotional dimension to the story. There are, in fact, many ways to talk about the history of peace. But Genève Monde has taken the original gamble of capturing this issue through the speeches made in the arenas of Geneva's international organizations since the 1920s. Those speeches bear witness to the central role played by Geneva in the peace negotiations and in the construction of the peace process. They also remind us that in peace negotiations, the fear or desire of war is never far away. Apart from the Swiss radio television collection, the audio archives of the international organizations present in Geneva are little used and often not digitized. Yet this is an extremely rich oral heritage. And this podcast is an opportunity to discover some of these archives. Let's start, Véronique, with a prominent figure in European peace-building history, Aristide Briand from France. He was a foreign minister between 1926 and 1932 and prime minister in 1929. Let's listen to an extract from his speech in front of the League of Nations General Assembly in 1919, found in the RTS archives. The League of Nations took its first steps in an atmosphere of doubt and ridicule. It was formed, it worked, it rendered services, it gave confidence. GenèveMonde.ch Véronique, can you tell us what was Aristide Briand's role in building peace in Europe? 
Briand was a key figure in the history of Franco-German reconciliation and peace building in Europe during the interwar period. In October 1925, for example, as the cornerstone of his ambition for peace in Europe, Briand signed the Locarno Agreement, under which Germany recognized its western borders with the guarantee of Great Britain and Italy. This action earned him and his German counterpart, Gustav Stresemann, the Nobel Peace Prize in 1926. Despite the fragility of these agreements, Briand hoped that the spirit of Locarno would help normalize relations with Germany after the First World War. He therefore welcomed Germany's entry into the League of Nations in 1926, an, an event he saw as a further step towards peace. Then, in 1928, Briand succeeded in pushing through the Briand-Kellogg Pact, in which the signing parties condemned the use of war to settle their differences. In a way, with this pact, the war was outlawed. However, its non-binding nature did not prevent Japan from invading Manchuria in 1931 or Italy from invading Ethiopia in 1935. Aristide Briand was a tireless advocate of peace and disarmament and used the League of Nations Assembly on numerous occasions to defend his ideas. One of the League's major missions during the interwar period was to encourage disarmament. The speech we have just heard is an extract from September the 7th, 1929. Briand was trying to convince the delegates to the League of Nations General Assembly to adopt an international agreement on disarmament. After intense debate, an agreement was reached in 1932, but was never implemented due to Nazi Germany's withdrawal from the League in 1933. You see, David, in the 1930s, peace became a fiction and war a reality in Europe. Ah, yes, I see. During the interwar period, there was a great deal of tensions between the European member countries of the League. The League's plan to build peace through collective security and international law collapsed. But wasn't peace compromised from the start by these tensions? And wasn't the League doomed to failure? Well, it's true that the League of Nations project was far from perfect. Let's not forget that the peace achieved in 1920 was first and foremost a peace of compromise, which did not satisfy all European countries, particularly Germany and Italy, who faced with their failure to renegotiate the peace imposed on them, would not hesitate to prepare for war. So, you see, the League of Nations was an imperfect tool. It would never be able to go against the power of states. The history of peace is full of paradoxes, and certain countries, such as Italy and Germany, while maintaining ties with the League, have not hesitated to undermine its authority. When Hitler came to power in 1933, he wanted to put an end to Germany's participation to the League. In the RTS archives, we have found footage of Josef Goebbels, who was propaganda minister under the German Nazi regime and visited Geneva in 1933. Let's listen to an extract of the interview he gave in Geneva. The National the National Socialist Movement and government in Germany want peace in order to solve the serious problems of today. Goebbels said during this visit that the National Socialist Movement wanted peace. Yes, this speech by Goebbels 
reflects the strategy adopted by the Nazi regime with regard to the League of Nations, on the one hand to reassure and on the other to pursue its policy of undermining the international cooperation spirit. In 1933, Hitler sent Josef Goebbels to Geneva to reassure the members of the League of Nations and, in a hypocritical attempt at appeasement, dispel rumors of German rearmament and violence against Jewish and Slav minorities. Whatever Hitler's real intentions at the time, it is clear that Germany's participation in the activities of the League of Nations confronted it with profound and insurmountable contradictions. This reminds us, David, that peace sometimes leads to war and that beyond the utopian aspiration of peace, international organizations are always the reflection of the many contradictory causes of peace. The League was also faced with other problems, such as the colonialist ambitions of certain member states like Italy in Ethiopia, ambitions that led to the Italian-Ethiopian wars. In 1935, Alias Selassie tried to mobilize the League of Nations to help to put an end to the war with fascist Italy. He delivered a poignant speech to the General Assembly of the League of Nations in Geneva. Here's an extract, Veronique, and that extract we found it in the Swiss Radio Television's archives. We don't want war, but we can't accept it passively. Ethiopia trusts in God and knows that his justice is better than that of men. Sounds of History, the podcast of GenèveMonde.ch So why has the League failed to resolve the conflict between Italy and Ethiopia? Well, the League of Nations proved incapable of preventing this colonial war. There are several reasons for this, but the main one is that the League continued to protect colonial empires. It should not be forgotten that the League of Nations was created by the victorious nation-states, that were all colonial powers and that France and Great Britain were the League's main financial sources. So the League of Nations did not bring about a break with colonialism. That said, the fact that representatives such as Haile Selassie were able to speak out in international arenas somewhat altered the situation of total impunity for the imperial powers. When Haile Selassie came to the League of Nations, it was to demand justice and denounce Italy's colonial war. This publicity and the mobilization of the League to produce reports on the situation in the colonies forced the colonial powers to at least discuss the legitimacy of the colonial policies. So far, Veronique, we've been talking mainly about war and peace and the role played by the League of Nations. But there's more to peace than limiting war. Yes, of course, peace is more than preventing war. Because of the League of Nations, Geneva became a rallying point for a multitude of pacifist associations, women's associations, organizations created to support the work of the League and international peace movements. All these organizations and institutions embodied the many causes of peace. We will have to dedicate a podcast to this story, David. Absolutely. We leave the League of Nations, though, and the interwar period now. After the creation of the United 
United Nations in 1945, New York became the new center of world peace. Geneva, however, did not lose its position as the capital of peace. After 1945, it hosted a considerable number of international organizations and many peace builders continued to advocate for peace here in Geneva. I have here an audio archive of Pope Paul VI and it's his visit to Geneva in 1969 on the 50th anniversary of the ILO. I would propose, Veronique, that we listen to an extract. La fatale précarité des choses humaines The fatal precariousness of human affairs, which the acceleration of modern civilization has made more obvious and all-consuming, has not shaken your institution, to whose ideal we wish to pay homage, a universal and lasting peace founded on social justice. So, what was the relationship between the ILO and the Vatican? And why did Paul VI make this speech in 1969, Veronique? In fact, relations between the ILO and Catholic organizations go back a long way to between the wars. But it wasn't until the 1960s that the Vatican decided to normalize its relations with international organizations. The 1960s were a period of great reform for the Vatican, marked by the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council and embodied by Paul VI. In his speeches in international arenas, he gave a central place to questions of peace, international life and international social justice. Another great peace builder to have passed through the ILO in 1990 was Nelson Mandela a lifelong fighter against the apartheid regime in South Africa. In his speech to the International Labour Conference, Mandela made the end of apartheid the pledge of peace in his country and the rest of the world. Let's listen to a take out of this speech. Clearly, Mr. President, we must also begin to look to the future. South Africa will be free. Peace will reign supreme in our region. Despite the stubborn resistance of some elements to the peace initiatives of the governments of Angola and Mozambique. We've just heard Nelson Mandela in 1990 with this uh, audio archive uh, from the ILO. South Africa is a very interesting country, David. This is a good choice you made here. Did you know that South Africa has a long tradition of internationalism dating back to after the First World War? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was a founding member of the League of Nations in 1919. It even received Namibia, a former German colony, as a League of Nations mandate. And it also joined the International Labour Organization in 1919. A far cry from the image of a backward, hopeless country. Exactly. Even after the establishment of the apartheid regime in 1948, South Africa continued to enjoy a certain legitimacy on the international scene. A perfect demonstration, I would say, of the ambivalence of the positions of Western powers, such as France, the UK and the United States, who while championing human rights on a global scale, readily accommodated the existence of apartheid for economic, energy and strategic reasons. And Switzerland has done no less. 
Did the United Nations seek to denounce the apartheid regime? Yes, the elimination of apartheid had been on the agenda of the United Nations Assembly since 1948. The situation in South Africa was to serve as a catalyst for advancing the struggle for human rights, a major issue in the intellectual history of peace after the Second World War. Mandela's speech we've just heard, Veronique, is both a testament to this international solidarity and a call here towards ILO members to do more in the fight for human rights. Exactly. And if I remember correctly, it was in 1962 that the ILO adopted a resolution demanding South Africa's withdrawal from the organization under pressure from trade union organizations. You see, for 25 years, the ILO was an important forum for denouncing this regime and expressing solidarity between trade union organizations fighting against apartheid. International organizations are clearly the heirs and promoters of the dreams of peace and freedom of the 20th century. The peace speeches we heard today are an original way of thinking about this history using sound archives. Absolutely. And it's a real pleasure to be able to showcase this audio heritage, which is still little known to historians and the general public. <laughs> That's what Sounds of History is all about. Veronique, thank you so much for you. all your insights, always. You can find all the sound archives used for this podcast on our website, genevemonde.ch. Genève-Monde.ch. Some extracts of Nelson Mandela's speech have even been transcribed and it's free. You can go to our website to check them out. Find out more documents about the peace builders on Genève-Monde.ch. There's one dossier in particular that is worth the see. It is our dossier named Peace Speeches. I would like to thank today Estelle Jordan, our sound engineer for GenèveMonde.ch. Great work. Thank you, Véronique, for your work overall and for listening to me. I know sometimes it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm very talkative. You, you talked more than me today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to leave as many stars as you can on Spotify or other uh, platforms where you can listen to this podcast. Thank you and see you around. Thank you, David. Sounds of History.
Genève Monde, at the crossroads of history.